Hi there, I'm Robert Hurst, and I welcome you to podcast number two of Safe Zone. Let's roll. In the Safe Zone, we share ideas, actions, and practical tips to equip you with tools and peace of mind as you help create a safe and secure environment in your church or house of worship. Let's get into this episode of Safe Zone. Welcome back. It's great to have you for podcast number two of what will be many to come in the Safe Zone. Now, in podcast number one, if you listen to that, and if you haven't, go back and listen to it. I talked briefly about the three categories that you can use when you're trying to build a church safety or security program. And let's review those. It was readiness, response, and recovery. Well, today we're going to take just one of those, readiness, and we're going to unpack it a bit more by talking about the five main areas that we use within the category of readiness. And that's the five P's. The five P's meaning people, policies, procedures, property, and practice. I mean, I know there's lots of P's there, so yes, you can pass the P's, please, as we used to say at the dinner table. Now, you'll hear me do this off and on as we go on together, but I want to let you know that I know, because I always want to acknowledge, there can be many ways to organize different things, and what I'm giving you is a way. It may not be the best way for your church, but it's certainly a good starting point. So, Let me, you know, once again, let you know there's many ways to organize any safety or security information or program, and that depends a lot on your perspective. In other words, how you approach the issue to start with. It also depends on the size of your church, and it really can also depend on what you perceive your actual needs are. But let me share this with you. After 40-plus years of dealing with security and safety in all types of emergency, crisis, and disaster work. I've found that these five areas we're going to talk about today are really very common across all organizations, regardless of their size. More importantly, though, they're easy for everyone to understand and apply. And that's what we need when we're trying to get something up and running at the church or we're trying to make it better. And much like I mentioned in the last podcast, in this episode, We're just going to briefly unpack the thought process of each area, and then later on we'll go into each in greater detail with their own podcast. So, with that said, let's start at the beginning of this whole process. The number one thing to consider under readiness when you're starting or when you're working with your safety and security team is the most important asset you have, and that's your people. Now, you should consider the people working uh, safety and security within, you know, that are within your church with two perspectives. One perspective is the actual team members, the ones who are tasked with the actions and activities you're asking them to do to watch over the safety and security of those attending in the building, etc. That's called the program approach. I, I mentioned that concept in podcast number one. This is when we just look at the people, we look at it, and we say, okay, here's our program. And folks, programs are a great start, but let's face it. In in the church world, everything starts as a program. But I offer to you that really it is best to eventually work towards a culture viewpoint of safety and security throughout your church. What's the difference? Well, the culture viewpoint is when everyone in the church 
eventually becomes kind of a, a part of the team in, in their attitudes and their watchfulness within the church. I mean, the culture viewpoint becomes an extension of the old saying that came along after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, if you see something, say something. And when you have that culture viewpoint within your church, let's face it, it, it just gives so many more eyes and so many more ears for observing and reporting anything that's a potential trouble area. So bottom line is work towards eventually having a culture viewpoint, though you will probably have to start with a program. People for your active team, though, are obviously, they're very critical. That is your first step. So as you begin to put the team together, I learned a little something a little while back, like way back at the beginning. It is better that you seek each team member for your team rather than just putting out an all call and letting them seek you. Why? It's real simple, but it's not so obvious to some people. The first thing you're really looking for is a heart of ministry. Now, the people part of your team is critical. So really, there needs to be a crucial question answered before any person joins your team. Kind of hang with me, because you may be going, where is he going with this? But there's a reason for it. The question is, is the heart of that prospective team member focused only on being a warrior? Now, I acknowledge that is, that's ultimately important at the appropriate time. Or is their heart more like that of a sheepdog? They're willing to help people in need. They laugh with and encourage the people. In other words, they enjoy the sheep. But as a sheepdog, or like my German shepherd, a shepherd, they are ready if the bad guy, if the wolf shows up, they're ready to go into game-on mode if they show up. Now, when they come to you or when you're looking for them and you say, Does this person really have a heart of ministry? The answer to this question is going to really enlighten you greatly and listen to your heart. For instance, let me give you an example. I've had this and heard this on many occasions. A person approaches you and they're, it's really kind of funny. Sometimes they have this real low, mysterious tone of voice. Now, not all of them. Some of them will bounce up and say, just blurt it out. Hey, I know how to shoot real well. I've got my uh, permit. I want to be on the safety team. If that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth, that's probably the one person you kind of want to ease away from. Let's get a reality check here. From the majority, and when I say the majority, nearly all church safety and security teams, for them, 99.9999% of the time, their work as a security and safety person is boring. I mean, certainly you have to be ready for that 0.0001% moment where you've got pure adrenaline, pure action and excitement. But, but the vast majority of any team member's time can, will, and should be spent in ministry opportunity. So they need to have that heart. I mean, think about it this way. The first church member that a new person who's just come into your church and this is their first visit the first person they may encounter, if you have a team that's really out there working, it's probably going to be one of your safety or security team members. That first encounter does not need to be one of a stern face and this expression that says, can I trust you? It needs to be an encounter that's joyful, energetic, it's welcoming. Now, 
your, your well-trained team member, yes, they will be observing that person as they encounter them and seek to see how they can help them. They're also going to be looking around the immediate area at others. But what they're looking for is certain signals and signs that might trigger a concern within the team member and might prompt further questioning or interaction. Now, that is a topic that we will talk about in later podcasts. But for now, just know that your team member, they each of them needs to be friendly, they need to have a quick smile, and they're always ready to help people. Their first job is ministry. And that's why picking the right people, that's the number one thing. That's why it's so critical. I need to let you know, though, that the next P, policies, let's just say it up front, dealing with policies is about as much fun as chewing on aluminum foil all day. It seems like there's a lot of action with very little substance coming out. Hate to tell you this, policies are absolutely necessary in the long run for several reasons. First of all, policies will give guidance and boundaries to the safety and security activities of the team within the church. They let people know what the boundaries are. Secondly, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if an incident occurred that later ended up in a court of law in some type of suit or in some type of trial, a well-formulated policy many times will provide at least some level of a protection. When I say many times, A, we're assuming you have a policy that's in writing, but secondarily, we're assuming that the policy was followed. I mean, if you write policies and you say this is the way we want it to go, but your people are always out there doing it a different way, the courts are going to look at what the doing was and it's going to override what the writing said. So have a policy, have it well-formulated, doesn't have to be complex. That's another topic, another day. We'll get into greater depth, but it still needs to be there. And finally, a policy really will offer, you know, it's kind of a starting point for considering future safety and security needs. Because as you write it, as you put your thoughts on paper, you'll begin to realize there are certain things we need to address in greater depth. And later on, we'll dig deeper into that. So for now, just know this. The second P is policies, and you need to have some. That brings us to the next P, number three, and that's procedures. So what's the difference? Well, if your policies give guidance as to what your team should be doing, then procedures give guidance on how things should be done. Once again, procedures is an area, I recognize this, that can be very broad. So for your purposes, though, your collection of procedures needs to begin simply, just so you'll get it done. For instance, uh, a procedure for the team or for the equipment and its use or maybe on training how often you're going to do it and what you're going to do when you train together or maybe on general operations of the team uh, it could be something like how you check the equipment in and how you make people know that you are there for your assignment or whatever procedures like policies should also be documented in writing but this is for a little bit different purpose the procedures document, or maybe collection of documents, also becomes the guide path in the future. You know, there may come a future date where your written procedures become a reference point for someone that's a new team member, and they may have a question, and no one's around that can really give them the historical knowledge or answer, so what they do is they simply look at the procedure. Oh, this is how you do it. 
And th- that's why your procedures don't need to be complicated. They, they can be something as simple as a checklist. Now, they can and probably eventually need to be a little bit more comprehensive and thorough, uh, perhaps contained in well-written documents that you may even store in binders. But if you're going to do that, make sure you are doing, in actuality, what is in those procedures. But if you're a smaller to mid-sized church, I really recommend you just simply start with checklists. That'll at least get the ball rolling. And that brings us to the fourth P. The fourth P is property. And let me tell you, it is perhaps one of the most neglected areas I've observed regarding any church or house of worship. And what's crazy about this is probably the one area where just a few actions can have a huge impact on making a church safer. This is a focus that even the most inexperienced person in the church can help with. Trust me on this. I've seen this happen too many times. And later on, once again, this is another area we're going to have extensive discussions regarding this. But for now, let's just introduce the phrase hardening the house. Some of you may have heard of the term hardening the target. Let's make it church house oriented. We're going to say hardening the house. And this is when you begin to think of the crime, first of all, in and around your area of your church. And what you want to do is you want to make that house, so to speak, physically hard enough that the bad guy doesn't want to be there. Remember, burglaries, thefts, and vandalism occur to churches all too frequently these days. So while we're at this process of safety and security, what we're going to try to do is stop crimes against our church buildings as much as we can. So the question that you ask yourself here is, what can I do to make it so tough for a criminal to commit a crime on or against my church that they go somewhere else to find a softer target. And as I've said already, this is one area that anyone can learn to do. You just have to know how. But you start the process of hardening the house very simply. Go stand out on the street in front of your church building and look at it. That's right. Just look at it. But then once you do that, you're going to continue inward. We'll talk about this in the future. Right up to and through each room. And by the way, don't just look at it from the street in front of your, your, your church. Go to the perimeter on each side of the property. You may have a church that is surrounded by, um, you know, it's on a block. It's surrounded by four streets. Fine. Go across the street on each side of the building and take a look at the church. But when you do, look at it like a criminal would. I mean, the criminal's not going to walk up and say, oh, there's a great church. I think I'll glance at it and go on. They're going to walk up and they're going to say, huh, do I see any weak spots? Are there any easy points of access? I wonder if that window that's cracked partially slides up and down. Gee, I wonder if I can walk around and find some windows that are unlocked. What about this door? Oh, look at this dark area. Oh, by golly, look at this kind of alcove area where everything's hidden from you. In other words, if you were the bad person, you're the criminal, How and where would you try to gain entry or cause damage? If you find these holes and then take care of the issue, folks, you're already going to be a long way down the road to having a safer building. So, so far we've talked about people, policies, processes, and property. So let's go to the fifth P, and we round out the five P's with practice. Now, 
here's a concern I have at this point. It really, really concerns me how many teams I've heard of that have great intentions of grandeur on how they intend to respond in an emergency. But, you know, that level of expertise never seems to happen at the critical moment when actions are needed. And then they stand around wondering why. I'm not criticizing people because, honestly, I was much like that in my early years in emergency work right up through and until I became an active member on a special weapons and tactics team, a SWAT team. We were a multi-agency team. I had the dual role of being both an operator and a medic. That meant I would make entry with the team, but if anyone was injured, good guy, bad guy, or indifferent, it was my job. Uh, We had several medics. It was our jobs to help those people. But it was during this time of working with this team that I began to realize the absolute necessity of practice. And I don't mean one-time practice. I mean over and over and over and over. This is when and where I learned that practice builds muscle memory. And that muscle memory can be either physically or mentally. It conditions your mind by practicing. It lets you practice real-life scripts of what could happen before it actually does happen. So practice is imperative, and it also accomplishes a couple of other goals. Let me give you about three here. For one thing, practice helps identify weak spots that you may need to address as a team. You know, this is when you find out what you need to work on or maybe a skill set that's missing within your team, but you do it before there's a crisis. Another thing practice does, as I've mentioned, is it builds that muscle memory, both physically and mentally. You know, I had heard and read about muscle memory in athletes for years, but that didn't really fully translate over to emergencies until I was having to make those rapid decisions as a paramedic or as a law enforcement officer. And then that was really honed, as I said, once I was a member of the SWAT team. And the more ingrained certain actions are, the better off you're going to be when those actions are needed. So practice, practice, practice. You're building that memory. Finally, practice helps to identify and drive training needs for the future. (laughs) It's only when you physically try to put something in place and physically work it out in practice that you find out that what you thought mentally would work, uh, you you get to that point where you either get to go, oh, hooray, it works, or more often, oops, that didn't work. What do we try next? And that's when you really appreciate practice because you get to say, okay, we've identified a need. We can either fill that with a skill set or something training in the future. So that's the five P's. And, and i got to be honest, I hope this, this is a brief overview, but I hope this overview of the five P's of a readiness has increased your desire to learn more. I told you earlier that a great deal more can be said about each. We're going to do that later, so hang with us. But that's one reason also you need to subscribe to our podcast and listen regularly. Now, I hope that as you begin to build or maybe even modify your church safety or security team and program, one thing I always hope is please keep things simple to start. I don't know about you, but it seems that complexity quickly drives to a lack of understanding, whereas simplicity seems to always help build knowledge and drive actions more quickly. You know, they call it the KISS principle. Now, we're going to keep this nice because it means keep it short and simple. I encourage you to review your team and program in light of these five P's and determine where things stand at this point. Be honest. Make a plan. 
move forward. Regardless of the level of safety or security you feel your church currently has, just remember two final points. First of all, there is no perfect program. We're all learning. There is no perfect team. We can all get better. Start where you are, know where your strengths and weaknesses are, and then move on from there. Let me know if there are any specific questions that you'd like to see addressed as we discuss church safety and security on upcoming podcasts. We'll certainly try to do that. We'll have a guest interview coming up in about two more podcasts down the line, so be ready for that. The best way to to make contact with us is at our website, www.safetoworship.com. You can go to the contact form there and drop me a line or a question if you can, and I will do my best to get back as quickly as I can. Hey, by the way, while you're there, please take time to also drop me a note. Answer this one question. I'm curious because it'll help drive some things for me. What is the greatest challenge that you find in bringing safety and security into your house of worship right now? So give me some feedback. Answer the question, what is the greatest challenge that you find in bringing safety and security into your church or house of worship right now? Hit our website, go to the contact form, let me know. Before you go, you'll not want to miss our next podcast because this one's going to get a little bit interesting. We're going to discuss the one issue that is forcing churches to defend themselves in court. And be honest with you, in too many cases, they're losing, and some are even having to sell church property to make payments on the settlements. But it's the one issue that continues to rise to the top of the list of why churches find themselves in court. So don't miss it. Be back, and we'll see you next time. Until then, God bless and be safe. That wraps it up for this episode of Safe Zone. Take what you learned here and help bring your newfound peace of mind to others by making your church a safer place to worship. I do ask two things of you. First, subscribe to our podcast by hitting the subscribe button in iTunes. And secondly, share our podcast link with others in your circle of influence. Hey, we're all in this together, so let's work together. God bless and have a great week.